Hello and welcome to the Rogers Brief. I'm Adam Rogers. Thank you for watching and thank you for listening. Today I'm going to be covering Day 11 of the Mass Casualty Commission proceedings. The proceedings uh, wrapped up uh, about 11.30 this morning after starting uh, at their usual time of 9.30. There were two presentations made by Commission Counsel Roger Burrell uh, on foundational documents. These two documents and presentations covered uh, firstly uh, movements in and around the Glenholm area and then the second foundational document covered the uh, two uh, killings in the Plains Road uh, vicinity of DeBert, uh, the killings of uh, Kristen Beaton and Heather O'Brien, both, uh, uh, both of whom worked for the Victoria Order of Nursing. It was uh, certainly a, an emotional day in many ways, uh, a solemn presentation from uh, Commission Counsel uh, Burrell and certainly the remarks from uh, Commissioner, uh, former Chief Justice uh, Michael McDonald were also quite solemn. Uh, it was uh, one, of those, uh, one of those days, of course, there's many mo such moments in the Commission proceedings. The uh, Glenholm uh, a foundational document picked up where we left off after the uh, killing of Lillian Campbell. It was interesting yesterday now with on day 10 there were targeted killings it would seem of Alana Jenkins and Sean McLeod. The killer knew them, had visited with them previously. On the other hand Lillian Campbell who was just out for a walk unknown to the killer. They didn't know each other at all. It seemed to be just a uh, an opportunity for the killer to eliminate a potential witness to the fact that the RCMP vehicle, the mock vehicle, was driving around uh, that area uh, in the in Wentworth. So uh, today, similar in a way, the first foundational document in Glenholm, uh, there were no killings, although there was a visit to the Fishers, Adam and Carol Fisher, with whom the uh, killer was uh, slightly acquainted. He had uh, had Mr. Fisher bid on some excavating work at his property. Uh, the killer had been to their home on uh, one occasion and had, uh, you know, not much but seemingly cordial, uh, you know, relationship with them uh, some years previously. So, uh, and but then with the killings of Kristen Beaton and Miss um, O'Brien, Heather O'Brien. Uh, there was no connection whatsoever uh, to them that uh, we seem to be aware of and those seem to be either uh, at random just as part of a, a killing spree or else perhaps some effort on the part of the killer to uh, distract the police into dealing with those situations while he moved on into uh, you know the Truro area and then onwards to uh, Halifax or Dartmouth where I know Miss Banfield indicated that he had intended to go uh, eventually. Never, never of course arrived there. The first uh, part of significance in the Glenholm uh, document was that there was a, a, a very close uh, near miss or near opportunity for the RCMP to catch uh, Gabriel Wartman about uh, quarter to 10 a.m. on Sunday morning when Corporal Peterson, who had gone on duty uh, from Bible Hill that morning, uh, was driving in the, up that area towards uh, Wentworth and crossed paths on the road with uh, Wartman, who was driving the mock vehicle in the other direction. Uh, Corporal Peterson uh, passed Wartman on the road, uh, did radio to uh, 
dispatch or to the other members uh, that he thought he saw the killer. But unfortunately, uh, Corporal Peterson took a little time before he did a U-turn and turned around to follow the mock cruiser, traveled 1.2 kilometers. That's a fairly significant distance if you're trying to make a, a quick U-turn and follow somebody. Uh, he said it was because it was on a turn and he was worried that if he turned too quickly he would be a, a target for the killer. Uh, not quite sure what to make of that. This is going to be one of the difficult questions I think the Commission is going to have to answer. You know, there's that seemed to take a long time and then as it will come into when we talk about the Fishers, the police again set up at a distance, didn't uh, aggressively engage the situation even though there certainly seemed to be a danger involved and then we saw this earlier on in the Port-a-Pic uh, you know immediate situation where you know officers were staging they were holding back they were you know sheltering in place rather than aggressively pursuing and you know I, I know the Commission is gonna have to make recommendations about future uh, training and planning and operational uh, strategies one is going to be to the extent to which officers should be aggressive in those situations and go in and put themselves at risk. A uh, difficult situation individually, but it's uh, something the commission is going to have to confront. You know, in sports, uh, one thinks of people, you know, at the end of a game, uh, you know, do you want the ball in your hands? Do you want the puck in your stick? You know, are you, you want to be that person or not? Uh, you know, and there's, there's some opportunities, but also dangers in that, in those kind of scenarios. So, I mentioned the uh, Fishers, of course, so uh, as we learned this morning, Corporal Peterson turned around to follow uh, Wartman in the mock cruiser, quickly lost sight of him. Uh, Wartman, in fact, had turned into a driveway of the Fishers, uh, not far away, uh, whom he knew. It was a long driveway, but a quarter of a kilometer, and uh, he was able to get up the driveway and, and park and essentially hide from anybody that was passing by in the roadway. And the Fishers had uh, surveillance uh, videos, and so we were able to see uh, the killer's uh, park, where he parked and walking in, had uh, a rifle in his hand, possibly another gun in the other hand. It wasn't uh, quite clear from the video. The Fishers had uh, both called 911. In fact, Adam Fisher, when he found out a little bit about, uh, well, he found out who the killer was that morning on uh, social media, had called because he knew him, knew that he had a mock cruiser or was planning to have to make one and so was calling to alert the police uh, to that fact. Then uh, just uh, really minutes later uh, the killer uh, pulls into their yard. They both hide. Carol Fisher called 911 then Adam Fisher called again. Uh, Adam Fisher uh, had a shotgun which he loaded and was prepared to use if uh, the killer had gone into the home he didn't. He uh, knocked on the door, but then uh, turned around and left. He left and returned and didn't, didn't go south where Corporal Peterson had been traveling and continued to travel towards uh, the Trans-Canada Highway in Mastown, but then went, the killer that is, went uh, north and then uh, took uh, Plains Road to, to the east. So an interesting uh, scenario there. So he, he knew the Fishers, uh, didn't have any apparent bad blood uh, with them. 
my interpretation of that is that he just uh, wanted to get away from Corporal Peterson and escape detection uh, for a little while longer while he pursued his plans, uh, whatever they may have been. Uh, down south of there, there was a, a convergence of several RCMP vehicles and the uh, there seems to be some confusion. Some officers were in an unfamiliar vehicle. Uh, the one vehicle with Constables Brown and Melanson was a unmarked vehicle and did not have GPS uh, installed in it. This is going to be relevant when we come back on April 11th to deal with the Onslow Fire Hall situation because that was where uh, Constables Brown and Melanson parked some distance away, uh, then approached and shot at the fire hall uh, completely improperly. Uh, so, you know, when we talk about being aggressive uh, in situations uh, that is going to show the risks of being too aggressive. So certainly a balancing act for the police in, in all of these circumstances. The, so the police uh, got together, uh, Staff Sergeant McCollum uh, says, what are we doing here? This is where we're supposed to be. Let's, let's get up to the property at uh, 2896 uh, Highway 4 where the Fishers lived. And they approached, and they had the uh, the Earth Squad with them with their uh, TAV armored vehicle. But again, approached very slowly. Some snipers went through the woods. Uh, they they sort of walked, uh, went very slowly up the driveway. And by the time they uh, discovered that the killer had left, he had been gone uh, for quite some time, and in fact had already uh, committed his next uh, murder of uh, of Kristen Beaton on Plains Road. So, some questions arise from this. There were, I think the report said 40 officers staged at the Fishers. Why so many? Why weren't they blocking off uh, roads? Uh, you know, they couldn't have been completely certain because he wasn't there, that he was still there. Uh, why so many in that situation? Where was the helicopter? What was the helicopter doing during this time? Uh, you would think that the helicopter would have been the most valuable asset at this point, being able to, you know, fly very quickly over all of the scenes and figure out where the killer was going. Uh, but that didn't seem to be an effective uh, tool for the police at any point, really, in this situation. Uh, and there was no real, uh, no apparent effort, anyway, to block off any of those other roads. Uh, you know, lots of different ways the killer could have gone and did. So, uh, next uh, we know that the killer went uh, north from the Fishers and then east on Plains Road through to Burt. We see some video of the killer going through there from uh, Angelina's Pizza and uh, some other locations, uh, commercial locations in DeBert. And we see the killer going very slowly through the community. Some vehicles in front of the killer's RC, mock RCMP vehicle and some behind, including uh, Miss O'Brien. And uh, of course, nobody knew that this was a fake police car because the broadcast hadn't been, uh, no broadcast had been made except for, uh, I think, a Twitter post at that point, uh, which looked like uh, Miss um, um, Miss Beaton had seen and posted to the VON uh, uh, Facebook page, Facebook chat group. So, uh, Several vehicles, in fact, had passed by when the killer had pulled over uh, Kristen Beaton and uh, also uh, Miss, Miss O'Brien. So some very near misses there. 
It makes you wonder what the killer's intentions were at that point, whether it was, uh, you know, certainly not targeted to them individually, but uh, they were uh, pulled over. Miss Beaton was already pulled over, so it was uh, easy uh, to do that, it would seem. Uh, and then uh, Miss O'Brien, I think, was approached by uh, the police, uh, the mock police vehicle. So certainly had there been an emergency alert uh, issued, uh, again, one would imagine that uh, any number of these vehicles passing by, these citizens would have contacted the dispatch, the 911, to inform the police of what was happening, uh, or perhaps taken some independent action, who knows. Um, but we know now that the uh, killer um, left then Plains Road after uh, killing uh, Miss Beaton and, and Miss O'Brien proceeded down uh, McKelman Road south towards the uh, combined Highway 2, Highway 4, which takes you from Portapique back in towards Truro, and next uh, and past the Onslow Fire Hall. Uh, the killer went past the Onslow Fire Hall, and we'll hear on April 11th uh, all of uh, what took place there. Well, we'll hear the Commission's version of that. I'll be watching that very closely. In fact, planning to t attend in person on that date uh, in Halifax to, to hear the presentation and speak to some of the people that uh, may be there as well. So we'll be watching that one very closely. I, I visited the Onslow Fire Hall uh, personally, spoke to some of the witnesses, and so we'll be uh, watching that situation very closely. So lots of uh, difficult testimony this morning. Uh, I know Mr. Burrell was, uh, he seemed to be getting emotional at times in course of his presentation, a very somber uh, presentation as it was. Uh, so uh, difficult to hear and uh, especially difficult to especially difficult to see the very close calls that were, uh, you know, the, the close encounters that the police had with the killer that morning uh, in the Glenholm area. Uh, potentially, uh, you know, potential opportunities to have ended things uh, much earlier and saved some more lives. So We'll, uh, we'll see what the Commission does with that, and we'll uh, hear from witnesses, hopefully, to fill in any of the gaps that were identified here with, uh, with officers and, and why they did certain things. Um, so we'll, we'll wait to hear when that comes along. So that's all for now. I'll be back uh, April 11th, uh, certainly, to cover the Onslow Fire Hall situation. If anything arises in the meantime, uh, I'll certainly notify people of that uh, through through Twitter or through uh, videos if there's something extensive to cover. Uh, I encourage you to catch up on the media. I know uh, Paul Palango had a uh, piece in Frank this morning and the Halifax Examiner, uh, CTV and CBC all had extensive pieces on uh, today as well as did, uh, as did Saltwire. So all good articles out there uh, to fill in some of the details uh, of these situations. So. That'll be back. Uh, I'll be back on April 11th, uh, certainly, and perhaps in the meantime. And until then, uh, I'll see you then. We'll see you next time.